Uh, we're in our third week of our alignment series, and it's been quite an incredible journey. Amen. Uh, in chapters one and two of Colossians, you'll find that Paul's letter has been extremely theological. Uh, that means that Paul has been talking hard out about the nature and character of God. And we've been looking at uh, how a newly formed church in the city of Colossae were able to resist the pressures of society in its day. There were so many different false teachers from society and from within the church who were denying, trying to deny Jesus as the son of God. And they were also trying to add things to Jesus as if Jesus wasn't enough. And so Paul writes to this new church and encourages them to uh, focus on the gospel, to focus on pursuing God's will, focus on living right. Paul also let them know about the supremacy of Jesus. We spoke about that last week. He was telling them the reason we don't fall for all of these false teachings is because Jesus is supreme. He is greater, he's higher, he's better than anything that the world has to offer. Paul also let them know that this supreme Jesus is the one who saved them from death. He says to the Colossians, yo, you were dead because of your sins, but God has made you alive with Christ. He has forgiven all of your sins. Not only that, but he canceled the record of the charges that were against you by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he publicly shamed all the spiritual rulers and authorities. It means that the forces of darkness and evil, the unseen power of evil was put to shame and defeated. The Bible says that Jesus made a spectacle out of them by his victory over the cross. Paul also let them know that Jesus didn't just save you, he freed you. He has set you free from religion. He has set you free from rituals. He set you free from rules and regulations. You don't have to go on keeping uh, rules in order to be saved from eternal separation with God. This supreme Jesus who took on the punishment that you and I deserved has actually paid the price once and for all. And so you don't need to follow a set of rules and rely on your works in order to be saved. You put your faith in Jesus who accomplished everything at the cross. Paul also let them know you're no longer who you used to be. You are now a new creation. When Jesus died on the cross, the old you died with him. And when he rose again on the third day, you were made alive in him. So it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives deep down on the inside of you. Paul's letter has been extremely theological at this point. But then he shifts things as if to say, I've given you enough abstract theology. Now it's time to give you some concrete practice. Paul has shared what we believe and why we believe. And so in chapter three, he's now saying, okay, people, it's time to live out in your daily life, uh, to live it out in your daily life by the strength of Holy Spirit. You can go on ahead, take your sermon notes out and your Bible apps. We're gonna start. Uh, this message is simply titled, What You Wearing? Turn to the person next to you and say, what you wearing? Amen. You know, when it, when it comes to shopping for clothes, I'm the kind of annoying clothes shopper who knows exactly what I want, but I'm going to go into every shop, try out everything, and then most likely come away with absolutely nothing because I just couldn't justify paying that much uh, or make up my mind. I will gladly walk into Taro Cash, put on that $350 shirt, and then walk out of there and go to Kmart and look for something that looks similar for $12. I will hunt that sale. I will stand at the queue on Boxing Day. I will sit in the car park waiting, waiting for a car park at Dress Mart. 
because I refuse to purchase this shirt at retail. Sometimes I take that scripture that says, ask and it will be given, way out of context and a bit too extreme when I'm out shopping because if it says $199, you best believe I'm going to ask for that to come down to $59. And sometimes the people at the counter will be like, sir, you can't do that. The retail price is listed. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm a child of God. And it says, ask and it shall be given unto you. <laughs> I'm that kind of a shopper, you know. I'll look for deals. I'll look in the warehouse for ways uh, that you could look like you just stepped out of Louis Vuitton. I'm all about the deal. What kind of a clothes shopper are you? Do you look for deals or do you only wear branded things or do you look more for quality or are you all about fashion? Or perhaps you're sitting in here and thinking, I don't even like clothes shopping, get on with the word of God. Or maybe, or maybe you're that person, <coughs> or maybe you're that person who turns to retail therapy, not only to zhuzh things up in the wardrobe selection that you have, but to deal with stress. Or maybe you're that person who finds it hard to part with your clothes. You just can't bring yourself to getting rid of that old t-shirt that's got holes in the armpit marks from 1972 because, because Michael Jordan hugged you in that shirt, you know. Or maybe you're that person who keeps the tag on everything and then you just wear it to the function and then take it back to return goods because you only needed it for three hours. I hope we don't have one of those in here. Thank you. Regardless of the kind of shopper that you are, we're always trying to find clothes for certain things. We're always getting dressed for something. We're always getting dressed for church. We're getting dressed for work. We're getting dressed for a job interview. We're getting dressed to go for a run. We're getting dressed to go on a date. We're getting dressed to go watch a rugby game. And the thing about getting dressed is that there is particular attire for particular events. For instance, you wouldn't go to a job interview at the bank in your togs. You wouldn't go for a, a workout in your office clothes, even though sometimes people do. You wouldn't go to a rugby game dressed in your wedding clothes, even though some people try to do that nowadays. There is a particular attire for particular events. In our passage today, Paul is talking about what the new person looks like. Now that you are no longer who you used to be, now that you are alive in Christ, what are you supposed to look like? How do you live your life as a person who has been made alive in Jesus Christ? He uses the analogy of putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes to express what a person who is made alive in Jesus looks like. And that really messed with me a little bit because I thought, wait a minute, Paul, are you trying to be a bit of a fashionista by giving us advice on what to take off and what to put on in terms of clothes? But Paul is encouraging the church in Colossae. He's um, already told them the reason behind why we believe in Jesus. He's already told them about the character of God. He's already reminded them of what Jesus died to give them. And so now, now he's saying, if you want to continue to resist the pressure of society, uh, we have to be prepared to clothe ourselves with the kind of clothes that God has designed for us to wear. He isn't talking about literal clothes. He isn't talking about fashion. He isn't talking about whether we have branded gear or not. Paul is saying, you're not just going to talk the talk. You're going to have to walk the talk. Paul is encouraging the church in Colossae that demonstrating the life-changing power of the gospel is equally as important as defending the gospel against all sorts of false teachings in life. There are going to be things that will happen that will try to pull you away from God. There are things that will try to dress themselves up as, as the answer to your problems. Society will try to tell you that unless you're dripping with that gold and frosting with the diamonds and you ain't nobody. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up uh, and find ourselves picking up a coat that wasn't created for us. If we are not careful, we're going to end up putting on a shirt that God didn't design specifically for you to wear. If you're still confused this morning, I'm not talking about the clothes you put on you. I'm talking about character and the way that we live our lives. If we are not careful, we're going to end up clothing ourselves with false teachings of the world and the ideologies of the world 
in order to be accepted. So how are we supposed to live our lives in a society that is constantly trying to pull us away from truth? That is constantly trying to entice us with fame, riches, and sexual immorality. Let's encourage ourselves with the word of God. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 10, uh, here's what it says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, Paul is saying, you're no longer who you used to be, you're a new creation. You are being renewed in knowledge in the image of your creator. Can you imagine how confusing it would be if we as the church talked so much about the love of God, but clothed ourselves with anger every time we got offended at somebody? How confusing would it be for us to be all up on social media talking about forgive one another, but in real life, constantly clothe ourselves with slander and filthy language? How confusing it would be for us to sing of the freedom that we have in Jesus and yet still clothe ourselves with lust, greed, and evil desires. You know, growing up in church, one of the ways that we used to try and raise money to uh, help fund certain ministries in church was through onion picking. And if you've never been to an onion patch, I'm telling you, they go for miles and miles. And so because they're... Uh, it's just extremely hard. You're having to bend. You then have to cut the top of the onion, let it all dry. And then you've got to go back and pack them into bags. And then you've got to go back and pour the bags into the, the, the crates that they provided for you. And so not only do you come back with a sore back, you come back a lot darker. Uh, you've also got dirt deep into your fingernails and all over the car. But here's my favorite part. Uh, your clothes, your shoes, your car, your hair, your skin just smell like onions. It's the worst. But one of the things that we used to do um, was we had like three pairs of clothes that we would call the onion patch clothes and we would rotate these clothes. Uh, these clothes had to be stored in a separate part of the home because they stunk. They had to be washed separately to everything else because you'd be in onion patch uh, months at a time. No matter how often you wash these clothes, they'd still stink. They'd still have holes in them. They'd still look dirty. They'd still look padu. And so you still came out, they still came out of the wash smelling like onion. And so there's nothing like waking up in the morning, getting ready to go to the onion patch and then you jump in the shower and have a clean wash only just to put on those onion patch clothes. It just doesn't make any sense to wash yourself clean and then jump into clothes that reek of onion. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to say to the church in Colossae. He's saying, you, you are the people of God who have been washed with the blood of Jesus. And so you can't be going back to put on the coat of anger and the coat of malice and the coat of bitterness and the coat of slander and greed because those things don't look good on you no more. You're no longer who you used to be. In Christ Jesus, you are new. You are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 12 to 13, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul gives the Colossians and to all of us today six incredible wardrobe options to choose from so that in putting these on, we might demonstrate the power of the gospel, not just in our talk, but in our walk. Number one, he says, compassion. Compassion is having an attitude of care and concern. It is grounded in sympathy and mercy towards another. To show compassion to another 
is to reflect the compassion that God has for his people. Jesus was moved by compassion oftentimes when he healed. Matthew 20 verse 34 says, Jesus had compassion on them, the people who needed healing, and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. A great example of compassion is in the story of the Samaritan. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho was beaten quite badly by robbers and they left him half dead on the road. A priest came by, saw him, and decided to go on the other side. A temple worker came by, saw him, and decided to do the same thing. And here's what the Bible says. Then a despised Samaritan, Samaritans were people that they often looked down at, came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Compassion. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on compassion. Number two, Paul says kindness. Kindness is one of those words that is packed, filled with so many different ideas and meanings and it overlaps with other words. And so it is this idea of compassion and generosity. When the New Testament talks about kindness as a human virtue, it is this idea of being helpful to others, but this helpfulness is being promoted by an experience, being prompted by an experience of God's redemptive love. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. A great example of kindness is seen in the story of Joseph and his brothers. His brothers became jealous of him, and so they threw him into a pit. They eventually sold him into slavery. He ends up in jail. But then uh, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. He becomes the right hand of the ruler over Egypt at the time. Now, when Joseph's father had died, his brothers became very afraid, and they decided to write a letter to Joseph saying, our father said this before he died, that you ought to forgive us of everything that we ever did to you. And so when Joseph read this letter, he wept. And so his brothers came before him and they bowed before him and said, we are your slaves. Joseph replies to them and says, don't be afraid of me. I'm not God. You tried to harm me, but God used it for good to accomplish what's being done right now. Joseph goes on to say, Genesis 50, 21. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's what kindness is, to be presented with an opportunity to get even, but instead respond with care and love and compassion. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on kindness. Number three, Paul says humility. Here's another option. Humility is having an attitude of lowliness and obedience. Humility is something that is grounded in your awareness and realization of your standing before God. To have humility is to have the same mindset as Jesus. This is what Philippians 2, 5, 8 says. In your relationships with one another, with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's humility right there, to be God but not use it as something to lord over us. Instead, be, he humbled himself, and being made in human likeness, humbled himself, even to dying on a cross. You see, humility is not something that we need to try and develop as Christians. There's a quote that says that humility is actually the byproduct of being with Jesus. My friend, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on humility. Number four, Paul says gentleness. 
Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness is not weakness or giving it easily. No, that's lack of conviction. All throughout the New Testament, gentleness is often used in context of teaching others or bringing truth and correction. We do it with gentleness. That means that we are clear on what we believe, but we also value the person that we are sharing truth with because they are made in the image of God. If anything about us is going to be offensive to anybody, let it be the message of the gospel that we preach, not the manner by which we deliver the message. A great example of gentleness is in the story of the woman who was caught in, in, in adultery. These teachers of the law and religious rulers, they brought this lady to Jesus and they made her stand up in front of this whole group and they said, yo, teacher, tell us what we're supposed to do because the law of Moses tells us that we're supposed to stone people like her. So what are we supposed to do? And so they're trying to set this trap up so they can accuse Jesus for not following the law. But then Jesus crouches down and he starts to write on the ground. These teachers and religious people start asking him again. John 8, 7 says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now at this point, it's kind of awkward now because these teachers and religious rulers started to do a self-inventory and realized that they weren't as clean and holy as they made out to be. They realized that they too were sinners. The Bible says that not one of them stayed behind or was left. All The only people who were there were just Jesus and a woman. John 8.10 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. That's what gentleness looks like. That's what gentleness sounds like. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on gentleness. <clears throat> Number five, Paul says, here's patience. Patience is the Greek word makrothumia. It comes from the root word makros, which means long, and thumos, which means anger, passion, or temper. When put together, patience in the Greek language is this idea which means to burn for a long time or to have long passion or long temper, often translated as long suffering. It's this idea that a person with makrothumia can endure for a long time without giving into anger. Patience is a willingness to wait upon the Lord and His will. It's a quality of self-control, and it was demonstrated to us by Jesus. A perfect example of patience is found in the life of Job. He was a man who suffered, but he never turned away from God. He got frustrated, but he never turned away from God. He lost health, his wealth. Uh, he even lost his family, but he never turned away from God. Job wandered and he questioned, but he never turned away from God. In spite of everything that he went through, Job was still able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What great patience. How good is that? As a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on patience. Finally, Paul says, forgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There are so many people who are living life not realizing that they are bound in absolute bondage because they refuse to forgive. And you may say to me, you don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know what my friends did to me. You don't know what I've been through. How can you say forgive? You may say to me that forgiveness is for the weak. Forgiveness is only for the people who aren't strong enough. My friend, forgiveness is a powerful thing. And you need to know today that forgiveness doesn't exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness actually frees the victim. If you want to be free, you need to forgive. So often it's the finger that's pointing that needs forgiveness. So often it's the finger that's pointing that needs healing. 
Could it be that the reason that we criticize others, the reason that we point the finger, the reason that we refuse to forgive is because we ourselves have failed to realize that we too needed forgiveness. Today, I want you to know that as a new creation in Christ Jesus, we put on forgiveness. I can ask Aaron to join me. You see, the thing I absolutely love about these different wardrobe attires that Paul is giving us is that they are all bonded together in love. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Compassion flows from love. Kindness flows from love. Humility flows from love. Gentleness flows from love. Patience flows from love. Forgiveness flows from love. All of these things are bonded together by love. Love becomes the thread by which our coat of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness is sewn together. And that love is found in Christ. Therefore, to put on compassion is to clothe yourself with Christ. To put on kindness is to clothe yourself with Jesus. To put on forgiveness is to clothe yourself with Christ. I want to encourage you today. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it is a challenge to wear Jesus in our culture today. You are truly a supermodel. And listen, it's got nothing to do with your height, your weight, or your physical features. It has everything to do with the way that you model Christ. When you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are not only modeling authenticity, you are modeling marriage, parenting, finances, faith, work, work ethic, and morality in everything that you do, whether it's at work, school, lunchtime, on the athletic field, on a date, on your social media posts, whenever and wherever you go. You see, the truth is some will try to tailor Jesus to their will, but they've got it backwards. Jesus needs to tailor our lives to his will. Others have this vintage faith that is reliant on the faith of their ancestors or their dad and, or their mom or their friends or experiences from long ago, but nothing is real and relevant. Others will wear Jesus on the outside where he's easy to take off depending on the situation. If I feel like I'm going to look foolish or lose my clout, then I'm going to take him off. Others will wear Jesus very casually. They'll put him on when it works for them, but take him off when something else comes along. Others will wear Jesus for emergency purposes, kind of like that raincoat jacket that you have kept in the back of your car in case it rains. They only put Jesus on when life is tough and a crisis hits. But I don't want you to be mistaken because the only way to put on Christ is to allow his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness, his love to completely clothe you from the inside out. You see, to clothe ourselves with Christ is to actually see things from his perspective. To clothe ourselves with Christ is to set our hearts on things above. To clothe ourselves with Christ is to be hidden with Christ. And my prayer is that this church, the people of this house, would be a people who are unapologetic and unashamed to, to be counted among those who have chosen to clothe them, themselves with Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. We refuse to close our service without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what it means to clothe myself with Jesus. I don't know what it means to come into loving fellowship with Jesus. I don't know what it means to make him the Lord of my life. You need to know today 
that you have a robe of righteousness perfectly tailored just for you. The truth is God loves you. This holy, righteous God who created this entire universe is the God who created you too. And he created you to know him. He created you to come into loving fellowship and relationship with him. But you see, the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God, this thing that keeps us away from God. That thing is caused by, that thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But you know, the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. But my friend, it didn't end there because God in his grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, so that whosoever believed in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I were due for our sins. And so right now, God is extending his grace to us, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope and future um, and everlasting life with him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin. We must face our back to sin and turn towards Jesus, put our trust in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus for everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life, I wanna give you this opportunity. I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away and you've got no reason to be shy or afraid in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace, but we want you to know we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, I wanna give my heart to Jesus, on the count of three, you can raise your hand and put your hand down again. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. I want you to do one more thing. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and choose to invite you into my heart and into my life. I want to follow you. I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you pray.